Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. So I'm delighted to say I have finally launched our space. So it is a private community over on the website the podcast website for women to share their thoughts, their experiences, to just chat openly, completely judgment free in a really nice, safe, safe space, really. Uh, so all you have to do is sign up as a member. Um, you will then be given access to each of the categories. And as the conversations expand and grow, I will add categories and subcategories and different topics. And I'm more than happy to add topics as we go along. So it's free for the moment. Uh, I just, I really want to just get the space out there. Um, that's my priority more than anything else. So sign up, introduce yourself in the general chat area. And yeah, I look forward to getting to know you all and having those gorgeous conversations that I miss so much. Uh, yeah, so enjoy. This week's podcast is brought to you by Mama's Hospital Bag, which is an Irish company providing luxury hospital bag bundles and gift boxes to new and expectant mothers around the world. It was created by mothers for mothers. Founded by school friends and mothers, Grace Quinn and Sarah Maloney, Mama's Hospital Bag began as a conversation on a weekend in France in 2018 and has been evolving ever since. It emerged on the simple premise to create a hospital bag experience which is equally emotional and exciting as it is indulgent and hassle-free. As mothers, they experience the excitement of getting ready to welcome a new baby and equally how little time you may have to prepare juggling work, life and family in the lead up. Having a pre-prepared hospital bag full of luxury brands is something they would have loved as an indulgent treat while also easing up on the to-do list. Mama's Hospital Bag is on a mission to not only provide expectant mothers with everything they need for their hospital stay, in addition to memorable gift bundles, but they also want to bring elegant style and comfort to the hospital experience. They feel strongly that while the hospital may not be the most relaxing of places, it is time you deserve to feel the best you can without compromising on quality and style. 
Each item is carefully selected to balance comfort and functionality with quality and style for both mother and baby. Since launching, the company has gone from strength to strength, expanding from purely online to being stocked in luxury department stores and has sales from across the world. Due to popular demand, the range has expanded to include gift boxes in addition to pre-packed hospital bags, all from luxury brands. All products come beautifully packaged in their signature hat box, which is designed to be kept as a keepsake for years to come. So if you want to treat yourself or a mum-to-be to an unforgettable gift and unboxing experience, head to www.mamashospitalbag.com and enjoy 10% off the entire range with the discount code MAMA10 valid until August the 2nd. So a couple of weeks ago, I put up a little request for anyone who's had a vaginal breech birth to get in touch because I really wanted to share a story and Amy got in touch. So Amy is Irish and she lives in Norway and she shares her experience with two pregnancies and two births, completely contrasting and it's shocking how different they are, how different the support was, the service was, the people she was surrounded by. Everything was so different in each experience. So her first experience was very traumatic and her second experience with birth was incredible. She gave birth to her little girl uh, vaginally and she was breech. She turned breech at 38 weeks. So she shares all of the details surrounding the two experiences and how well she was supported second time around and also life after in those couple of weeks um, on both births. So and thank you, Amy, for sharing your story, agreeing to share your story and for being so honest. And I'll chat to you all soon. So Amy, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Thank you for agreeing to come on and share your, your recent birth story. Uh, yeah, I'm really uh, excited to share it. And we'll talk about your other birth story if you wish as well. We won't just keep it to your most recent story. So whichever you're, you're more than welcome yeah. to share both. Yeah, we can uh, definitely do both because there's a, a big difference, big comparison between the two. Yeah. So do you want to just give us a little introduction to you and your family and then we'll get stuck into your stories? Yeah, um, I'm from Dublin, but I live in Norway with my Norwegian husband, Patrick. And we have Nikolai, who's two and a half. And I just had baby Isabel, who is three weeks old. Mm, cool. <laughs> So we get into your first your first pregnancy. Was it planned? Yeah, it was. Um, it only took about yeah two two tries, and uh, so it happened really quickly, which we were quite surprised about, or I was uh, quite surprised about anyway. Um, and it went pretty well. I got signed off work. Um, maybe at five or six months because uh, I had pelvic girdle pain. So I couldn't, uh, couldn't really walk very much. Um, and I had a, quite a physical job running a, a clothing store as a manager. So I just couldn't do it anymore. And it's quite normal in Norway for women to get signed off work when they're pregnant. Um, but other than that, it went really well. That was the only thing that was really problematic. Um, and I was really interested in having a very natural birth, um, and a water birth. So I signed up for, um, what's called the ABC in Oslo, the alternative birthing center. It's part of the main hospital, but it's just kind of, uh, 
in a different building and uh, you know there's no doctors it's run by it's you know it's a midwife led clinic and there's no uh, medical equipment in the rooms the rooms are really big and they have a normal double bed and a bathtub um, for water births um, and obviously there's no no epidurals or anything just and the midwives will be trained in acupuncture and that kind of thing and massage so I was signed up for that and really uh, excited to do that and of course Nikolai had no intentions of arriving um, and at 10 days over my waters leaked a little bit um, and no contraction started so uh, then I had to transfer to the labor wards and be induced um so okay which was fine because you know at 10 days over I was just ready <laughs> to uh to get him out yeah. however um so the induction actually went really well um they gave me some tablets and contraction started really quickly we moved to the birthing suite and only a few hours after that, um, I, I was at 10 centimeters and I was just using a TENS machine and that was fine. And then after that, nothing happened okay. <laughs> for hours. Um, and the midwife I had kept saying, oh, you're, you know, that you're at 10 centimeters, one more hour and this baby's going to be here. One more hour, one more hour, one more hour. And that went on for, I don't know, five or six hours until... The shift change, we got a new midwife and uh, she wasn't happy with the progress and she turned on the lights and called in all the doctors and was doing all the tests and of course uh, labour stalled, just completely stopped, contraction stopped. Um, so they discovered that Nikolai had, there was too much amniotic fluid and he was floating really high up so he, he was you know, he was trying to spin and come down into the, um, come down to the cervix, but he, there was, the water was just in the way, there was too much. Um, so eventually the doctors decided to break the waters and see if that would help. They also started an oxytocin drip to increase the contractions, um, which of course, then I got an epidural as well. Um, because I don't know, I think I'd been in active labor for about 14 hours at that mm. stage. Uh, so I was exhausted. Um, and I knew that with the oxytocin drip, that the contractions would be more painful. Um, so still, even with all of that, nothing happened. <laughs> he was still uh, nowhere near um, uh, coming down low enough. Um, and we, after a few hours before he was born, maybe three or four hours before he was actually born, the doctors started talking about a C-section. That if nothing happened, they'd just have to do a C-section. So could you, would you, did you have any feeling at all from the epidural or were you completely numb? Could you move around, do any movement even in the bed? Yeah, in Norway, actually, they only do, um, you know, the walking epidural. Okay. They 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 don't uh, fully uh, fully know me so um, yeah I was able to walk around as far as you know as far as the 
the cables would allow and you know I could bounce on the ball and move and change okay, position and everything like my legs were a little bit heavy but otherwise it was fine um just no pain so that was nice yeah um so they told us to prepare ourselves for a c-section you know uh, which I did said okay I was exhausted you know we were about I don't know 17 hours at that stage mm. 18 hours and I just thought yeah whatever whatever gets this over with now so I you know lay back and just waited for them to make the final call and they came back and said you know what actually he's moving a little bit lower down what we're going to try and do is see if you can you know push him down the final way final bit like um and get things going that way like if I could you know force it um so uh, when that was that was uh, that was pretty tough um did you did you have a chance to sleep or get some some rest in between no um that was a pretty uh, tough um thing to hear when I'd accepted, you know, that we were going for a C-section. So uh, we did that with like two doctors and two midwives and everyone in the room. Um, I tried pushing and they they saw that he was actually coming down uh, a little bit. So they said, yeah, let's do this. Um, so and in Norway also, they only allow you to push for one hour. I don't know how it is in Ireland, but it's very strict. Only one hour to, you know, to prevent prolapse or injuries or anything like that. Um, so the clock was ticking. Um, and uh, after, I don't know how long it was, but after a while of pushing, I started to feel the actual, uh, I started to feel my body pushing. Okay. You know, so like the... I can't think what it's called in English, <laughs> but the the contractions that that you feel where that your body's actually pushing the baby out. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, you've no control over it. Really, yeah. it's just like animalistic. Yeah. yeah, I started to feel that, and I said it to. I told the midwife. Um, I said, you, "I feel something's something's different. I can feel uh, that my body is trying to push," and she said and, and this should have been the first sign that she, uh, that things were not uh, great with her as uh, she said oh you can just ignore that just listen to me and push when I tell you to and I was pretty shocked but uh, I was so exhausted I didn't mm. I wasn't able to argue with that so I did what she said um and so I uh, kept pushing um and the there was a doctor standing behind the midwife with the vacuum ready to go uh watching the clock because if we hit one hour she was going in with the vacuum so the midwife decided that uh, she wants she wanted to do an episiotomy and the only thing that I'd written on my birth plan was no episiotomy um so I I tried to argue and say no uh, I don't want that just whatever happens happens um I'm okay with that and she said no uh we have to we only have a few minutes left to get this baby out I have to I have to do an episiotomy um and there at no point was I or the baby in any kind of distress or danger or anything 
the, the midwife just did not want to let the doctor take over. She wanted to um, get the baby out herself. And also um, something I think uh, which plays part in it is uh, Nikolai was born nine minutes before the her shift ended. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think the reason she felt that she had to give me an episiotomy, even though there was no danger and everything was fine, is she just wanted him out before, before the doctor would take over with the vacuum, before her shift change. And she probably thought if the doctor has to use the vacuum anyway, the doctor will do an episiotomy as well. So the midwife gave you an episiotomy? Yeah. Okay. Even though I said no. So that was... Uh, that was pretty yeah. uh, traumatic afterwards um, because it was really the one thing I didn't want and it was really painful. She also, uh, another thing that uh, stays with me, um, she also um, put her fingers inside and was uh, pushing my pelvic bones open and it was excruciatingly painful and I told I asked her what what was that pain because I, I hadn't the epidural was really good I wasn't feeling any pain but I could feel you know I could push and suddenly I had this this unbelievable pain and asked her what it was and she said oh it's my I'm I'm using my fingers to push your pelvis open Amy, and I oh said stop <laughs> like take your hands out stop now and she refused she said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to stop. The pain will go away when you, when you push the baby out. Yeah. And so anyway, he was born. Um, and of course they had to do stitches, which took just an unbelievable amount of time, such a long time. And I lost so much blood. There was just blood everywhere. There was, it was pooled on the floor. And I was in so much pain with the, the stitching uh, that I couldn't even hold Nikolai. I had to give him to Patrick to hold, which was awful. And, you know, I told the midwife that, and it was this was a different midwife now, a new one who had come on shift. I told her that it was unbelievably painful. And, you know, she just didn't didn't give me any more um local anesthetic or whatever uh, they use um maybe she assumed that because I had an epidural I didn't need anything uh so that was pretty awful um and I think all of that affected you know the first weeks with Nikolai as well um I was really really weak from the blood loss but I didn't know that that wasn't normal. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, because they didn't, they didn't really, they didn't really register it at the hospital that it was a lot. Um, so that kind of just slipped under the radar. Um, I could barely walk for a couple of days. And, um, and then Nikolai also had a tongue tie, which we didn't find out until he was about nine weeks old. So breastfeeding was a nightmare, so painful. And uh, I kept telling them at the hospital, you know, we stayed there for three nights, I think. And I kept telling them, all of the midwives, that it's unbelievably painful. 
um, and they said, oh, it's supposed to be painful at the start. You had absolutely <laughs> no support. None, none whatsoever. None. It was, it was just at any stage. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> after we got home and, you know, um, I just couldn't believe that people did this more than once, that people had multiple kids. And I thought, I will never do this again. This is horrific. Um, I even gave away all of Nikolai's newborn uh, baby clothes and stuff because I was so 100% this is never happening again. Um, We did eventually get uh, the tongue tie cut, but at that stage, at nine weeks, it was too late. Um, We'd already have to start supplementing with formula, which he loved. He was a really big baby. He was 4.3 kilos, which I think is nine and a half pounds. Um, so he was very hungry and loved bottles. So um, that that was breastfeeding was over for us then, and which was hard as well, much harder than it would have been in Ireland because Norway is a hundred percent breastfeeding. Uh, there is no formula at the hospital; everybody breastfeeds. Um, and if you you know, taking a, a bottle of formula out in public, that's what people look at. That's what, not breastfeeding, whereas in Ireland, if you start breastfeeding in public, that's what people would stare yeah. at. Yeah, it's quite different here. So yeah, that was a bit tough. Um, Did you, was there, here there's like a birth reflection service. Did you go back to the hospital to avail of any of that at any stage? I did actually. Here um, at the hospital I was at, they have what's called a Gaia Yordmore, a Gaia midwife service where, yeah, it's a, you know, a debrief um, either after birth or in preparation for your next birth yeah. um, or even for first time moms who are afraid. Um, so I did go back and have a, a conversation with um, a midwife and she kind of, she made, made excuses for everything and um she also said there was no point in complaining to the the ward or to the hospital about it because she said you know sure it's been a couple of months now nobody will remember oh my god um so yeah so that was all pretty awful but uh luckily um there's a really good international community of moms in Oslo right okay yeah and there's also an amazing sling library, which is run by some of the international moms. So um, I found my I found my tribe, uh, which was great. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> um, and we're all, all of us who had babies that that January, that winter, um, we're all still in contact now. We have a, a gang and some of us have gone on to have another. So how long did it take you then to make the decision to have another baby? Um, I'd say I felt better about it all after between six months and a year. And then when Nikolai was a year and a half, when he was 18 months, 
Um, you know, he was walking, he was more independent, he was going to kindergarten. Then and um he was really jealous of all of our neighbors who have siblings and they're always playing in their gardens together and screaming and having fun. And especially with Corona, when he couldn't go into the neighbors and play with them. Yeah. Uh that's when we really thought, um, okay, yeah, we we need a sibling here. Uh yeah, so when he was 18 months, we uh, decided to have another one. And how did you feel? Did you feel nervous? Did you feel apprehensive about giving birth again or the thought of it? Um, not at the time, not at the start. Um, so again, I got pregnant really quickly and um, that was fine. And, you know, I was the first the first few months anyway, I was just determined. I was going to work for longer than I did first time around. Um, and whatever it took, I'd make sure, uh, to have a better experience this time. You know, I wouldn't, wasn't going to, you know, be, uh, I'd fight my case with, with the midwife. If I got another one like that, Uh, I was just more determined. Were you going to continue down the midwife? Um, Or at least at the start, I was unsure. Um, I thought, I kind of thought at the start, ah, oh, there's no point. Um, you know, you have to you have to write a letter and send it an application and be approved for the midwife led center. And I said, you know what, there's no point. Okay. Uh, no doubt, everything will just be crap this time around as well. So why bother? I was a bit. I was thinking a bit negatively. Um, and then, um, and then I got really bad anxiety at about. I don't know, four months in, really, really bad anxiety. I couldn't sleep because all I could think about was how badly I felt about Nikolai's birth and how how was I going to prevent any of that from happening next time when I couldn't prevent it the first time, you know? Um, mm. So I talked to my GP and she sent me to the midwife at the local clinic she said this is a little bit outside of my scope I think you should go talk to the midwife so I went and talked to her and she's a little bit older and we used to work at the hospital that where I gave birth to Nikolai and she said that none of that should have happened like that's it's that sounds so bad it's almost hard to believe that it actually happened um so she wrote a letter to the hospital. She wrote a referral and usually the referral would go straight to, as you say, you know, the, the midwives where you have the debrief conversation, but she said that she sent a referral that said it had to go to the consultant who deals with uh, birth anxiety and fears and, and previous traumatic births. So I got um, an appointment with him and went, uh, went in to talk to him um which was great he's really nice he actually he's Norwegian but he trained in Dublin at Royal College of Surgeons and worked at the Rotunda so we had a little bit of a little bit of a link there which was nice oh, yeah. and he said yeah and that was the first time that midwife was that was the first time in your whole experience is that you're that your um traumatic birth was recognized or even validated by anybody it seems yeah god yeah, but it really, really helped that she said that. 
and it was validated it helped so much um I felt a lot better I felt well at least you know at least they believed me that it was bad um so I went yeah. to the appointment with the consultant and he said you know what don't even worry about it um I'll I'll make sure that you have a better experience this time um so we talked about it a little bit and um the plan was that he would put uh, a note on my journal um that for, uh, for when I went into labor and that you know that I'd had a bad experience and that I was his patient and that they had to ensure that I had an experienced midwife and one-on-one care and uh that they had to listen to me basically um and then he also recommended he said the best thing would be to register with the midwife clinic again with the alternative birth center um since I didn't get to go there the first time and it would be a completely different environment um and a completely different experience to Nikolai's birth um so I did that. Uh, he sent a recommendation that they take me and I got a place there. And um, after that, I felt uh, much better. I wasn't uh, anxious anymore. And I also was uh, listening to hypnobirthing, which was amazing. Um, so, yeah, then I felt ready. I was signed off work again with a really bad uh, uh, pelvic girl thing I couldn't walk at all couldn't uh, barely uh, leave the house um, which was tough with a two-year-old Nikolai's dad had to do everything with him um, and I was stuck sitting at home so that was hard um, but otherwise you know everything went fine as long as I was sitting down or not not doing too much I wasn't in pain and that was that. Um, so the weeks just ticked by, and <laughs> I went for my and we. I was set up for a final conversation with the consultant just to make sure everything was everything was good and ready to go. Um, a final conversation with him in week thirty nine. So I went in. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And... Um... I went in and uh, he started by doing a scan and uh, in the the week since my last appointment with the midwife, um, baby Isabel had uh, flipped to breach. Did you feel any, was there any moments that you can remember that you would have felt her? Yeah, this was on Thursday and the, the on Sunday, um, I felt like... Um, I felt like some water, some of the amniotic fluid had gushed out and I went to the midwife clinic for a check and the midwife there, you know, she did the test and said, no, nothing. And she did, uh, I asked her to do um, a CTG. I don't know if it's called that in English as well, you know, where they monitor the baby's movement, heartbeat and see if there's any contractions. So um, we did that. And while she, while the monitors were on, her movement was just unbelievable like she was going crazy and I think that's I think that Sunday was when she flipped and then on Thursday I had the scan and she was breached so that was that was hard um because it meant no no water birth no midwife clinic and um, we'd have to go to um, the labor wards. Um, yeah. And also, uh, they technically have quite strict rules at the hospital that I was at about breech births, um, that it's either, um, either a plan C-section or it's, um, two consultants, um, who deliver the baby. Um, and continuous monitoring. So also you can't, you know, you can't use the shower um, or um, you can't be in the bath or anything like that. You have to be connected to the monitors all the time, which also means that they they recommend um, an epidural. Um, they also recommend an epidural because so many breech births end, in, end up in a C-section anyway, in an emergency C-section. And it's better if you already have the epidural placed um, and a lot of C-section or a lot of breech births are delivered by forceps, which again, it's also good if the epidural has already been placed. Um, so needless to say, I was not happy about any of this. Um, the consultant said to go away and think about it for the weekend and come back to him on Monday with a list of questions. And he also told me to listen to a podcast that he'd done about uh, breech babies. So I listened to the podcast in the car on the way home. And he talked about on the podcast that um, actually the best way to 
give birth to a breech baby is in an upright position on all fours because pelvis is uh, opens wider than if you're lying on your back. Um, so uh, that and that really stuck with me. I thought that's that's the way I've got to do this. Um, so I did some research and I looked at I looked at spinning babies, um, but obviously I knew that you know we were at I think thirty nine plus six. There you know there was no point in starting spinning babies exercises or going to acupuncture at that stage. Um, it was very unlikely that we were going to get her to flip back. And the consultant also uh, said there was no point trying in ECB, um, you know, just a few days before the due date. Um, she was quite low down in the pelvis as well. So it would have been quite difficult to turn her. Um, and on the, yeah, so I was looking at Spinning Babies and on their website, they actually have a video of um, a mom giving birth to a breech baby uh, on all fours. And then and that also, that just made it more, uh, made me more sure that that was, that was what I wanted. So I talked to, um, talked to my mom, uh, friends, and I actually talked to, I'd gotten a lactation consultant um, in advance um, to make sure that breastfeeding went better this time. Uh, I talked to her as well and she said, you know, what you need to do is go, go through your birth plan and um, see what you can keep um, so that you still feel empowered and still have as much of your original birth plan as possible under the new circumstances. So I did that that weekend, rewrote the birth plan. And the biggest point on it was that I wanted um, hands-off vaginal breach birth on all fours. Um, and technically it's not actually allowed at the hospital that I gave birth at. Uh, they only train for, um, vaginal breech birth with the mom lying on her back because if they need to do, uh, an episiotomy and forceps, then you're in the right position. Um, so the, the, Technically, the doctors there only know how to deliver in that position, but there are some um, some who will allow you to be on all fours. But uh, which meant that how I would be allowed to give birth depended entirely on what um, doctor and consultant were on shift when I went into labor. Um, and of course, um, all of the anxiety came back at this stage. I couldn't sleep worrying about, you know, when would it happen? I considered going with the plan C-section because then at least I'd have some idea, you know, at least of when it would happen even if it wasn't how I wanted it to happen. Um, but I went back to the consultant on Monday with my list of questions and my birth plan and, uh, and asked him if we could plan an induction. 
um, so that I wasn't sitting at home not sleeping and anxious about what would happen. Um, which thankfully he agreed to since Nikolai was born at 4.3 kilos and they really don't want um, a breech baby born vaginally at four kilos or over. So he did um, an estimate of her size and he estimated that she was about 3.9 kilos already. So he said that, yeah, it was perfectly reasonable for us to uh, plan an induction on those grounds. Um, so I went in on the next day on Tuesday and they put in the the balloon, the Foley balloon. And I went home and went back in the next day um, and got took the tablets. And as with Nikolai, contractions started really quickly after I took the tablets. Um, and by, by the afternoon, I moved to the uh, birthing suites. Um, had you met your consultants and the doctor at this stage that were going to look after you? Yes. So on the, I'd met the day shift. Um, and the day shift consultant, um, she, she was lovely. Um, she said, I'm really sorry, but there's absolutely no way. Um, there's no way. Uh, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be lying on your back. Um, and I'll try my best not to do an episiotomy, but uh, we don't know what will happen. So you need to prepare. Um, so I kind of, you know, just had to accept, okay, that's just how it's going to be. Um, so moved to the birthing suite and uh, the evening shift midwife, a new midwife came in and she said, okay, great. Now let's get you all set up for your epidural. And I thought to myself, alarm bells, you have not read you have not read my journal. You have not read my writing plan. So I asked her, have you read my notes? Um, and she said, oh, no, um, I haven't. I just started my shift. And that was serious alarm bells for me because um, my notes said that I had to have an experienced midwife. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not that I have anything against that she was young, but that she was young um, that she hadn't read my notes, that she didn't know that I didn't want an epidural. Um, it just immediately set me on edge. So presumptuous for her to just because, yeah, think that you were going because she had seen all she had read was uh, vaginal breech birth, and yeah. as far as their rules are, it's immediately epidural. Okay. Um, so. I sent her out. I said, you need to, you need to go and read everything now and then come back to me. So she went and she came back and she didn't really say anything. And I said, you know, what do you, what do you think? You know, how are you going to support me in, um, in, you know, following my plan and making sure things go as close to how I want them as possible? You know, how are you going to help with that? Um, and she just stood there and looked at me and it was so weird <laughs> and Patrick had arrived at that time because I was in active labor he was allowed into the hospital and every time she left the room I said no this this is not okay like this is not working um, and I gave her I think three opportunities I started I even started like really coaching her <laughs> saying you know this is what what I need from you um, uh, this is how you can support me 
and she just she didn't even say yes or I can do it or this is going to be great don't worry she just stood there and looked at me she didn't say a word yeah it was so bizarre um obviously I think I you know I'd put her out of her comfort zone she'd never experienced someone who was very opinionated about how things were going to go I don't know but um, in the end, God, not even opinionated, just just yeah. kn- knew what you wanted, you yeah. know, or what you needed. And looking for reassurance from her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I mean is, you know, a huge percentage of a midwife's job is just reassurance, yeah. um, support, comfort. And she had nothing to say, not a word. Um, so I said to her, look, this isn't going to work. You're going to have to go get someone else. Um. Uh, which was really uncomfortable <laughs> but um the day before actually the doctor who put in the balloon had said you know I've read your notes and just so you know if if you're not happy with the midwife you get this time and uh, tell them you want someone else so that really stuck in my head that that was actually an option yeah um and so off she went and I think it was would have been maybe 40 minutes or so it was quite a long time um and during this time, when I'd been having my doubts about uh, this midwife and all of this discussion had been going on with her, uh, my contraction stopped completely. Um, obviously, because of mm. the uh, stress and anxiety and everything. So about 40 minutes after I sent her out, a new midwife came in. Uh, a little older, and she just breezed into the room and she said, don't worry, I've got this. Oh, you so made the right decision. I'd say at that moment you felt great. <laughs> so it turned out she had worked most of her career at the alternative birthing center. Um, so she was very familiar with natural birth. Um, and she also uh, delivered plenty of breech babies vaginally mm. and in upright positions and on all fours oh, wow. <laughs> so she said I'm gonna go I'm gonna go talk to the doctors who are on shift now and see what I can see what I can do so she went away and she must have been gone for about an hour as well <laughs> and she came back uh, with the doctor on call and uh, said okay we're gonna let you try um, we're going to let you try to do it your way, but you need to know that if we tell you to turn over and lie down, you need to be able to do it uh, straight away. And um, there needs to be no uh, distress to the baby. So everything has to look good on the monitors uh, for us to try, which I totally agreed with. You know, I didn't want to do it if it was, if either of us were in danger or if it wasn't safe or anything. So that was perfectly fine with me, of course. Um, so that was excellent and obviously (laughs) yeah the relief was unbelievable Um, yeah and that midwife actually came and visited me afterwards um, uh, the next day after the birth and she told me that she actually had to have quite a quite an argument with the doctors to get them on board with it um so um 
I'd kind of said, uh, having had such a long first labor with Nikolai, I'd set a time limit on this one. Um, if nothing was happening after six or seven hours of active labor, um, I'd be open to getting an epidural. So after six hours, the, the pain was just too much and I ordered the epidural. And at that, around that time, there was also a shift change and I got a new midwife but she was friends with the previous midwife and also a little bit older and oh, great. Um, also agreed with my plan. So that was perfect. And thankfully there was no shift change for the doctors and the consultant. They were doing a double shift. So the plan was uh, still okay. Um, we had until the morning shift change at 8 a.m. <laughs> um, uh, so I got the epidural. Um, the new midwife recommended that I sleep for a couple of hours, just relax and rest. So we did that. That was lovely. Um, and there wasn't a huge amount of progress. Um, I stalled at six centimeters for a really long time. Um, so she recommended, and I totally agreed that we do the oxytocin drip to get things going. So we did oxytocin drip. And uh, that got really painful really quickly, even with the epidural. The epidural didn't work on my right side, only on the left. Um, and the oxytocin drip worked really well. <laughs> so it was very, very painful. Um, and kind of all of a sudden, um, after a couple of hours on the oxytocin drip, all of a sudden something changed. Um, uh, I started vomiting. The pain was unbelievable. Um, so the midwife decided that I should uh, get up onto the bed and she would check. Um, so she checked and I was at nine centimeters. So she said, okay, we've, we've probably got some time left. Um, and while uh, after, immediately after she checked, I got a contraction on the table and the pain was unbelievable. And I asked uh, Patrick to help me sit up into a sitting position because I didn't want to be lying down. Um, and as I, he was pulling me up into sitting, my waters broke. Um, and then I suddenly felt the need to push. And I turned around um, on, on my knees and held on to the back of the bed. And obviously the midwife could immediately hear that something had changed mm. and that something was happening. And she said, oh, my God, stop, stop. Don't push, don't push, don't push. Uh, you need to just breathe. And I thought, oh, my God, how, how am I going to do that? But I did. I knelt there and, you know, breathed and tried not to push. And she ran, ran out to get the doctors because, you know, they need two midwives, two doctors, and uh, uh, a nurse for the baby for a breech delivery. So she had to run out to get them, which she did. Um, they all came in, but I didn't see any of this because my back was turned. Um, I didn't see anything. Yeah. I just, uh, when they were all ready, they said, okay, you know, now you can just go with the flow. And I said, what do I do? And they said, just do whatever you feel like. Um, uh, oh, yeah. which was you know at first I thought oh can not, can, can't you just tell me what I should do should I push should I breathe should I push hard should I push lightly what should I do but I thought no they're probably right I'll just go with the flow so I could feel her um, I could feel her moving down and I could also 
feel kind of when I should push and when I should stop and when I should take a rest and when I should push harder and when I should just breathe. Um, it was amazing. It felt uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, so I've goosebumps. I'm so happy that you were facing that way, that you had people like everything oh, seemed to align for you. Um, um, yeah. I, yeah, just about, even though the pain was unbelievable because the epidural had completely stopped working at this stage. There was nothing, nothing doing there. Um, yeah. I felt absolutely everything, but uh, it was so amazing to feel like, you know, to just kind of know what to do um, mm. and when to, yeah, when to push and when to take a break. And so, uh yeah, so then all of a sudden the midwife said, "Okay, that we can see we can see her bum. Her bum is coming out. Oh, her bum is out." Um, and then you know they were kind of talking me through, saying, "Oh, there's one leg. There's the other leg. Okay, and the arms and the shoulder. Okay, now it's just the head left to go, which is usually which is where uh, vaginal breech births can get difficult if the head gets stuck or the shoulders get stuck. That's often where people need help." Um, but I just took a little break and then pushed really hard and uh, her head came out and because um, I didn't know at the time but Patrick was filming so uh, he took a video so I was able to see um, her being born and the consultant the the, um, consultant in charge uh, he he was actually just sitting on a stool (laughs) beside the bed watching that's amazing um and the the doctor that he was supervising um she had her gloves on but he and uh, when she went to reach to to help or hold the baby or do something he said no don't touch um and just let her come uh which they did so it was completely completely hands off um and uh, out she came and the midwife uh, was calling me saying, Amy, 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 uh, you know, you can reach down and pick her up now. Um, and it felt like a really long time before I did that because I was kind of breathing through the pain and the shock and the relief. But in the video, it's actually, it's only a few seconds. You probably had to come back into the room a little bit, did you? Yeah. 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 I was completely gone. Um, and so I picked her up and yeah, it was just perfect. Oh, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> and your body is amazing to to just let that happen, especially after like your body remembers trauma as well. So your body, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. And you just, the, all the little bits of your story just kind of crescendo at that moment when everyone is in that room and just, just lets it happen. It's, it's, it's brilliant. I'm so glad that you had that birth. Oh, it was amazing. Um, so I turned around. <laughs> they helped me turn around <laughs> and lie on the bed. And there was literally 10 people in the room. Um, everyone, everyone who was available at the time came in to have a look. Because, and they told me, because they uh, none of them, aside from the, the midwife who originally argued my case, none of the midwives, doctors and nurses who were on shift when I gave birth. None of them had ever seen a an upright okay. uh, vaginal breech birth, and definitely not hands off with no help. Um, so they were all they all came in to watch, <laughs> um, which was pretty crazy. So special, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. So that was really good. Um, no, no stitches or anything like that. Um, so I was immediately really comfortable. No pain, no blood loss. Um, everything felt great. And I was, yeah. So it was just worlds apart from yeah. what happened with Guy. And even the recovery has been worlds apart as well. You know, um, I didn't realize until this time around that what I experienced the first time was not normal. No. You know, I was so weak that I couldn't like walking up the stairs for weeks afterwards was too much. I couldn't carry um, the car seat to and from the car. It felt like it weighed a ton. Um, and now uh, when I when I lift Isabel in the car seat, I'm like it's light as a feather. <laughs> Because you and you feel so much stronger mentally as well, which all yeah, yes. you, I'm sure yeah. you do. I do, I do. So, yeah, it's been great. Um, in Norway, after you give birth, you don't um, unless you have any medical complications, you don't go to the ward in the hospital. You go to the patient hotel. Okay. Um, which is a, just a different building in the hospital where you go to recover. Um, so it is it's a hotel it has a reception a cafe a restaurant and hotel rooms and your husband can stay with you if um, if you want um, but there are midwives there as well who come you know they come and check on you and you know they check on the baby and do the blood tests and everything um, so it's really nice so while we were staying there I was there for four four days afterwards while I was staying there um Everyone who had been involved came in for a visit, <laughs> which was so nice. And they were all so happy and I was so happy. And, you know, the the consultant who was there, who was sitting on the stool just watching, he said that he's delivered hundreds of breech babies, but never one like that. Oh. It was oh. his, uh, his first time seeing that. So that was amazing. Um, and yeah as I mentioned before the midwife who argued my case she came back to visit as well and told me um what had actually been involved in uh, in getting them to agree to the plan so I'm so unbelievably grateful to her um yeah all Brilliant. good and do you know what really stands out to me is it's so conflicting like your first experience sounds like nearly prehistoric the way they treated you but your second experience they were just all so for you, it's you know there's there's such a there's such a um, such a huge difference between yeah. between the two, and it's crazy as well because um, you know technically my birth with Nikolai was perfectly straightforward. Yeah, you know, um, whereas um, you would think it would be the complicated breach birth that was the difficult. Yeah, one. yeah. Um, so that's. That's strange. Um, but I think also, I don't know what the attitude's like in Ireland, but there's, in Norway, there's a very distinct attitude of first-time moms don't know anything. Um, so you'd almost everything as a first-time mom, everything is brushed off. You know, nobody listens to you. It's just, oh, you're a first-timer. Yeah. Um, they even ask you that question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you call it all the time constantly, is it your first or second? Um, and I've noticed that with everything now, second time round, that I don't know if it's because I'm second time round that they listen more 
or and respect what I have to say or if it's because I am you know I know a lot more this time around and I'm confident in what I want and what I don't want um because in Norway they're also against um flipping tongue ties they don't recognize it as okay as a problem um uh whereas in Ireland I think it's quite easy to get a tongue tie clipped at the hospital if they if they see it straight away they'll they'll happily cut it um I had to convince the doctors um this time around to cut it I said you know just it has to be done and the only reason they did is because um you know I'm second time and I had a bad experience with Nikolai otherwise they would have refused even though there was clearly a tongue tie there on Isabel they said you know it's there but we don't see any reason to cut it unless you really insist um but cutting the tongue tie helped really uh, really really helped uh, with the pain immediately and then the day after I got home the lactation consultant came for a home visit sorted out the latch and everything's been uh, perfect since oh. yeah yeah. So just a totally different experience. Thank you so much. I, mean, I know you've your, you've your hands full and you probably want to be lying on the couch. So I'm really grateful to that you've shared <laughs> everything with me. I'm, I'm so, I'd be like, I'm definitely going to have a sleepless night tonight just thinking about it. It was just amazing. I'm so glad that you had that experience. <laughs> okay, I won't hold you much longer. Go to bed. Thanks, Cora. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. You can get in touch via the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, or you can reach out um, over the Instagram page. Chat to you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.